Macworld Podcast number 314 for August 8, 2012. I'm staff writer Lex Friedman. And I'm senior editor Dan Morin. Over the weekend, Matt Honan, a senior writer for Wired and former Macworld staffer, got, in his words, hacked hard. Nefarious individuals hacked their way into his Amazon account and from there into his iCloud account and then managed to wipe out all the data on his iPhone, iPad, and Mac. The hackers exploited a number of different tactics to gain access to Honan's personal information, all for the purpose of stealing his Twitter account. But the fallout was more damaging than just a few rogue tweets. We spoke to Matt about what happened, the details of how the hack was accomplished, and what companies and users should do differently going forward. Matt Honan joins us now from Wired's newsroom in San Francisco. So, Matt, thanks for joining us, and I, I think Dan and I both wish it were under happy, happier circumstances for you. Uh, and you've been over it, and your Wired story goes into plenty of detail, but give us the rundown. W- what actually happened last weekend? Uh, basically, uh, Friday evening uh, at about 5 o'clock, uh, some uh, individuals, malicious individuals, managed to compromise in quick succession my Amazon, Apple, uh, Gmail, and Twitter accounts, um, and in doing so, deleted my uh, deleted my Gmail account and wiped all the data from my iPad, iPhone, and MacBook. Which sounds like an unfortunate happenstance. So I imagine it was a pretty quiet weekend for you. Yeah, I actually haven't been getting much sleep at all, to be honest with you, since Friday. I've been, I mean, both from just sort of being stressed out and like having a lot to do. But uh, yeah, it's been, it's been a difficult weekend of of reestablishing. You know who I am with all kinds of services and trying to change things and trying to take steps to avoid this happen again and, and also try and understand how it happened and, and report on that. Now, of course, you, you've written a pretty extensive article at Wired about this, but uh, how did they end up gaining access to your account? What was the methodology they used? Because I knew, that, first off, there was some confusion about whether or not they had just circumvented your security questions with Apple, but it seems like it was more complicated than that. Right. And I, I think you're referring to my they, – they got access to several accounts. So I think you're, you're, you're referring to my Apple ID uh, account, right, uh, right not just the right. Amazon. Or, or, so, so what they did was uh, they used this, this basically uh, a method to add a credit card to Amazon that was a bogus credit card number uh, and then call Amazon and give them that credit card number and, or add a credit card to my account on Amazon. Call Amazon, give them that credit card number, and, uh, which gave them access to my Amazon account. Let them in. Uh, once they're in my Amazon account, they were able to see – they weren't able to do much in there, but they could see the credit cards I had on file. Amazon, like a lot of uh, – you know, like if you get a receipt in a restaurant or something, you know, it will block out all the first, uh, the first 12 numbers, I believe it is, and show you just the last four digits. Uh, but those last four digits, as it turns out, are all that Apple was requiring to verify identity that someone called into AppleCare. So once they had those last four digits and uh, they knew my Apple ID – uh, which was a .me uh, email address, they could call Apple, uh, give them my Apple ID, my address, which they were able to get through a Whois lookup, and it's in all kinds of public databases too, and uh, uh, four digits of a credit card number, and Apple uh, let them into my account. What Apple did was they issued a temporary password verbally over the phone to this person who then uh, went online uh, and entered that into uh, you know an iCloud login, uh, immediately changed the password, uh, and then proceeded to just basically destroy my digital presence um, one at a time. They they used they knew the .me was my backup for Google, uh, so they they once they're in iCloud, they were able to go uh, go to Google and send a password recovery to iCloud, 
uh, as soon as they got into Google, they went back to iCloud and wiped my iPad, iPhone, MacBook so that I couldn't, you know, follow along and try and stop this once it was in progress. Uh, and then once they were in Google, they, they got a password reset from Twitter, which was their ultimate goal all along, and uh, then deleted my Google account while continuing at this point to post as me on Twitter, all kinds of stuff, basically just to show off that they'd hacked my uh, Twitter. Uh, and so and so what what ultimately happened was I, I all of a sudden saw my devices being wiped, like while I was there. and uh, Before your very eyes. Before my very eyes, and was, and was powerless to, to do anything about it. Wow. Obviously, there, there, many things went wrong uh, cascading down the line to, to let you fall victim in this way. It sounds to me like there's clearly issues on both Amazon and Apple's end regarding how they handle user security, especially given how much data you're entrusting to either one of those sites, really. H- have you heard about the change in policy at Amazon's end already this week? I, 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 so we haven't. Amazon has never talked to us directly. Uh, one of our reporters, Roberto Baldwin, uh, was able to, or actually multiple reporters of ours were able to duplicate what happened on Amazon. Um, but Roberto asked them about it, and uh, you may know him better as Robbie. Uh, but uh, Robbie asked them about it and asked them, you know, for some sort of statement or comment or confirmation, and they, they wouldn't do any of that. But today, uh, it, it appears that has been changed. Uh, it appears you can no longer do that. And when you say do that, you mean you can no longer call in and say, I'd like to add a credit card number to my account, merely providing the email address used with your Amazon account and let them add it. Which is what your attackers did, right? Once they had added that credit card, then they could call up again and say, hey, I'm locked out of my account. Can you reset the password for me, providing the fake credit card number they had just added over the phone? Correct. I mean, that's kind of hard to follow, but yeah, it's very clever, and, and, but, it, but it worked, you know. And, um, and yes, so, so it, it, it appears that that can no longer be done, and I believe I haven't – I've, been, I've been, had a busy day, so I haven't seen this, but I believe Amazon gave a statement to somebody somewhere saying that it had changed uh, this procedure. So in some ways, it seems like you almost got struck by a perfect storm because it seems based on the, the personal information that Amazon and Apple separately required was quite innocuous, but put those things together in some ways and you ended up with information that was available more easily at one site that could then be used to cascade into another site. Right. So, and so, I, don't, and so I, I should say I don't know the details on this exactly, but I, I managed to get in touch with one of the people who hacked me and, and communicating with him for, for several days now. And, uh, I mean, he says that there are all kinds of sites where you can get the last four digits of a uh, credit card number. And of course, you know, the, I mean, they're on, they're on restaurant receipts. They're on, you know, they're, 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 they're it's, it's not something that's considered a secure number. Um, so it's, it's the one number that you can comply with credit card companies, security requirements and still display. Even though Amazon has patched this hole in its system, there are still very many other systems and, and all kinds of social hacks. Like in, in my story, I make the point that if you, you know, order a pizza from Pizza Hut, if the person knows your Apple ID, you could, you could, they could you know, do this. Uh, that are in place that, that make this still a really insecure method for Apple to have been using for authentication. And I hope that they are in the process of changing. Does it seem like this is the kind of thing where we, we need some sort of standardization throughout the industry just in terms of these security best practices and what information should really be considered, you know, identifying information? Because, you know, that might help us avoid things like this situation where clearly this information is insecure and in being used to validate personnel. Yeah, I mean, I very much think so. And, I, and like I, you know, I make the point in my story that I had been doing some really dumb things like linking accounts together and not using two-factor authentication. But I think a lot of times we tend to tell ourselves that everything's going to be okay and we use sort of the path of least resistance. And I, I, I think especially as we're moving into kind of the, you know, the era of cloud-based devices, we need 
to have, companies need to have better data security mechanisms in place, and especially ones that aren't reliant on a single point of failure, where if somebody can get one password, they can do everything with your system. I mean, I, I really think that, I don't know what the answer is, but I really think the password-based systems aren't the right answer for, you know, the era of cloud computing. You know, it's funny, Matt, after reading your story, I, and I, and I know Dan, and I think many other, you know, tech-savvy people around the internet said, fine, I'll cave in and enable two-factor authentication with Google. Uh, and, you know, I did that today, and it was a pain. You know, it's, it takes a lot of steps. You've got to manually authenticate various other apps that can't do two-factor authentication. Do you feel like, is there a way to simplify that process? Is there a way to make things be secure without feeling painful so that, you know, I, I can see myself doing this and I was able to get it done, but I also wrote, you know, an 800-word article for our users about how to do it, and I can't imagine my mom ever figuring out how to do it. You know, is there a way to let people be secure without making them jump through as many hoops as the current version of Google's two-step auth does? I, I don't know. And that's, that's the problem, isn't it? I mean, you know, I mean, the, the thing is that I think Apple, the reason that they don't have something like that uh, in place is because they want to make it easy for people. Because almost anything that's very secure is, you know, the trade-off is that it's not easy to use, and so people don't use it. I mean, I, I, the reason I didn't have Google two-factor authentication turned on on my personal account is because I used to have it turned on on a work account, and I, I you know, I hated having to re-enter my password. And um, I, 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 I don't know what the answer is there. I really don't. I, I wish I had, like, some sort of clear-cut vision of what, you know, the way things should be, but I don't. I mean, I, I really don't. Right. And now Apple told you and, and, and also told Macworld, you know, that they're looking into what happened and that they believe that their policies weren't followed completely once the, the hacker went to Apple support and said, hey, I'm locked out of my iCloud account and got a temporary password given to them over the phone. Is, is there a concern that no matter what I do, I, I'm still at the victim of however well-trained or however willing to go off book a support rep is if a caller is charming and convincing enough? I think that's always a concern. I think, there are t- I think there are actually two very concerning things. If you look at that statement, it's very carefully worded. And there's a word there. It's the word completely. And so you, you really have two problems. Uh, we don't know what Apple's policies are. I know what Apple told me over the weekend that their policies were before this became a big uh, – before this blew up. Um, uh, and I, I know that what they told me over the weekend uh, – on multiple occasions was that all that was required was a user ID, an address, and the last four digits. And I know that we were able to duplicate this by just doing that. Um, and so what, what does completely mean? Does it mean that someone didn't initial a report where they were supposed to? You know, we don't have any way of knowing. And so there's a policy problem. There's clearly a policy problem. There's also, as you say, there's a problem with people. People are always going to be this weak link. I mean, that's the whole Kevin Mitnick idea. Is, is that you know, the, if people have the ability to override any kind of system, uh, it's it's it, it can be, you know, I mean, it, it means that all the safeguards in the world don't matter. Right, and of course, the the flip side to that, just as with the two factor authentication being, you know, inconvenient, is we've all probably had experiences dealing with customer support reps who have worked around the system in a perfectly valid case where, oh, I just can't remember what my security question was, or uh, you have the wrong address down slightly and there was a mistake. You you even, I think, were dealing with them at one point and they thought you were someone totally else, right? Right. I mean, initially when I called in, they misheard me. I called in and they, the first thing they did is they asked me for my security questions and I couldn't answer any of them. And it was really bizarre to me that I couldn't answer them because I, I knew the answers. <laughs> and uh, I thought, well, God, somebody changed my security questions. Um, and then they asked me for my billing address and the last four of my credit card. And I gave them that. And they said no. Uh, and so I, uh, you know, I, I was just freaking out. And then, and then I realized, I came to realize, of course, that, that what had happened was that they had, 
the guy called me Mr. Herman at one point, and I realized, I was like, oh, no, 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 that's, that's not my name. And um, we were able to get everything resolved from there. But it was, you know, I mean, it was definitely a human error problem. It was, a, it was just, it just, just really confused things. Now, one of the, the points you made was that, you know, you, you wish you hadn't had all of your accounts sort of connected. Yeah. But really, I mean, I think in some ways it's safe to say that you didn't exactly have your accounts connected, right? You, you had a, you know, your alternate email address with Google set up to point to MobileMe, but it really took a, a well-trained or at least a, a well-researched attacker to figure out that all those pieces could work together the way they did. Yeah. Uh, I mean, have you come up with what you think is, you know, your general advice to a typical user of, of what to do, how to get set up to, to avoid being victimized in this way? Well, one thing that I mean, you know, I, I'm still not sure what the best practices are, but one thing that I'm doing personally uh, is for my recovery emails now, I'm not using the same prefix that's on my, on my you know, garden variety email. So my recovery email, unlike my Gmail address and my .me address and my wired.com address, doesn't start with mhonan anymore. Uh, to make it, which makes it harder to guess. For an exclusive, can you tell us what it does start? I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give you my social security number too. Uh, I, think, I, think, I think actually all that stuff is public now. I'm not sure. Um, but uh, yeah, so you know, I mean, that's one thing I'm doing is I'm using a recovery email address that's not something that uh, is publicly searchable and findable by my name or that uses my, um, you know, the same uh, first part of that email address. It's my first initial last name that I always use everywhere. Uh, and I think, I, I think little things like that are actually pr- probably pretty helpful. Having dedicated email addresses that you don't use for correspondence, that you don't use for, you know, logins that are just sort of a security backup. I and mean, I'm hoping that's, that's going to be an effective step. And, of course, I turned on two-factor. Oh, and, of course, uh, you know, another good piece of advice for users is apparently don't have a three-character Twitter name since that makes you a walking target, right? Yeah, I guess so. You know, I mean, I just used my first name because when I signed up, that's what people were doing. You know, it was uh, relatively early in the service, and it was really easy to get, you know, your first name as your username. And uh, it turned out that really has uh, caused me some problems. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think I think Lex has, has raised a really good point, though. We are entering, and, and you have said in your articles as well, we're entering this age where everything's expected to be connected in some ways. And, and and sometimes that's something we appreciate, right? Because it means, oh, you know, you can sign into all these services with your Facebook or your Twitter account. But at the same time, are you giving access up to some sort of keys that are going to be used against you in some other direction? So it's hard to figure out how to how you're going to balance those two things going forward. And I don't know if it's, you know, we're going to find people dialing back a lot or if it's just becoming, going to become ever more permissive. Yeah, it's it's it, it's something that I've been thinking about the last few days. I went through and disconnected every almost every uh, connected service that I had on my Google account. I, um, I, I I've always kept a pretty tight rein on what's allowed on Facebook uh, and Twitter. Um, and I I'm definitely approaching that with a new sense of, do I really need to give this account, you know, or, or give some other thing a connection to my first account? Because once everything gets connected, it just becomes really easy to, to have something cascade in a way that, that wasn't possible just a few years ago. Part of what made this so painful, as as you've written about, is that you know, on your, your main Mac, you hadn't been backing up regularly. And so you lost a lot of stuff that you don't yet have backups for. I know you mentioned that Apple's trying to see what they can recover. But, I mean, you're a smart guy and you're, you're a tech guy even. And this is a, a very common problem. Of What I'm basically wondering is, and I, I know this is exactly the, maybe the wrong time to ask you, but how do you teach people who haven't yet suffered you know, catastrophic data loss of this level to start backing up? Is, is, are people teachable in that way? Is that a solvable problem? I don't know. You know I mean, in my case, it was definitely laziness. Uh, you know, I, I actually have a backup. So I, I have a Mac Mini that I use as an entertainment center. 
uh, and I have a daily backup system in place for that. Um, but in practice, it's my MacBook that I'm doing most of my work on and most of my photo importing on, most of my you know writing on, and all those kind of things. And, and, and in practice, it's actually the MacBook that's, that's, that's got the more valuable data in it. And uh, when I when I got the MacBook Air, I you know I, I just didn't set up Time Machine on it, and I didn't um, I didn't do those things that I had done uh, on my Mac Mini, and I had to learn the hard way. You know, I, I knew that I should be backing up. I knew it, and uh, I mean, I, 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 every time I thought about it, I'm like, oh yeah, I need to do that, and I just placed a very low priority on actually getting it done. And so that was you know that, that that's that was a tough lesson I I learned, and I actually really hope by going forward, and I've tried to be really forthright and say, you know, I, I messed up that people will see that and, and start backing up. I mean, I hope that people can see what happened to me and have some empathy and relate it to themselves and say, I don't want that to happen to me and, and, and start looking into backup systems. Right. And we've, we've been spoiled to a certain extent, especially, you know, using iOS devices, which obviously either back up when you connect it to your computer or these days back up to iCloud as well. So in some ways, you know, and, and obviously Time Machine, as you're saying, it's there, but, you know, some people just don't, they don't have a disk that's handy. They don't want to plug it in. I know that, you know, for everybody, all my family members, I always have to set it up because they're not going to do it on their own. So it, it, again, walks that fine line between something that's great to have, but you're you're part of your brain that doesn't think out to the consequences of what if I don't. Right, right. It's true. I, I, and I should say I now have a very robust, a very robust backup system in place that I, I don't really want to get exactly into all the details of, but I have a, I have a, I, 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 am, I am a backup convert. <laughs> You're feeling good about it. That's good. Now, you made one point that I thought was very interesting. And again, it's another thing that you said that then inspired me and I think a lot of other people like me to take action, where, you know, I've long enabled for as long as it's been there, find my iPhone and find my iPad on those devices. And with Mountain Lion came find my Mac and I turned that on on my laptop too. It was Lion actually, right? It was Lion where find my Mac. Yeah, it was Lion where find my Mac. Lion, right, right. And, you know, so, and you made the point, you know, let's, you know, <laughs> there's maybe, maybe that's not a great one to turn on since it does allow somebody who, if they manage to wrangle access to wipe out your Mac. You want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, you know, I mean, so I, I've, I've always found Find My iPhone very valuable and, 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 and useful. I think it's a great service, and people are likely to lose their phones. They're, you're carrying them around with you everywhere. It happens. People lose their phones. My wife lost her phone on a flight, or she, she, was, she was getting off the plane. She sent me a text message. She was trying to, you know, sort of wrangle her bags and our, our, our daughter, who's a toddler, and, you know, all these things. And she sent me the text message and probably left the phone the seat or something like that after she sent the text message. And we lost the phone, or she lost the phone. And uh, it, it was uh, find my iPhone was an invaluable tool in getting it back. Um, similarly, David Pogue, you know, lost his phone a week, a week or so ago, and uh, find my iPhone basically recovered it for him. And it also can keep someone from getting in your phone and doing all kinds of nasty damage. But you know, your computers are a little bit of a different story. I mean, yeah, you could definitely lose a laptop, and there are people who do that. But you're probably a lot less likely to to actually lose a laptop uh, than you are to have your laptop. Um, you know, broken into electronically. And, and that's certainly true of desktops. I mean, you know, is, is somebody going to realistically steal your iMac? I mean, you may not need Find My Mac turned on on that. And, um, you know, the, the, the thing that I, one of the things that I hope Apple does is to, to, to change this is once someone had access to my, uh, access to my iCloud account, they are able to remote wipe my machine uh, without having to enter any other kind of password. I'd never really thought about that before. But it, it seems like uh, it would be a lot better if there was a, you know, some sort of second level of authentication required before you could remotely wipe uh, a machine. 
Right. I mean, I, I agree with that, that assessment because I do think that tool has its uses, especially, you know, as speaking as someone who travels a lot and carries their laptop with them and has heard a number of stories from, from other folks in this, in that same situation who have left their, you know, left their Mac in a cab or, yeah, left it on a plane. And, you know, it's, you know, good to feel at least that I can secure my data remotely, but yeah, they definitely need, it seems like some other way to do that because as soon as someone has broken, you know, compromised your account, then that gives them an unholy amount of power over all your stuff. You know, and there's one of the things that I find really interesting, uh, one of the emails that's in my inbox uh, is the confirmation email that uh, came when, when, when they, when someone opted to, to remote wipe my Mac. And when you choose to remote wipe the Mac, you set up a four-digit pin so that you can stop it, you know? Well, it, it makes sense to me, like, that that four-digit pin should be at a different point in the process, you know? Like, require that four-digit digit pin to be set up well in advance of, of, the, of actually pulling the trigger on Find My Mac. Because if someone else does it, I mean, you're not going to know what that four-digit uh, number is, and you're, you're not going to be able to stop it. And, and that just seems like such an easy fix. Right. You're, you're you're absolutely right. Clearly, this is something you know. It's not our job necessarily to solve exactly what Apple can do to make this iCloud various elements of iCloud security better. Because I think you know, although the Find My Mac issue is a huge one, I think the the bigger one is that you know I could still call right now and find a way to to get Dan's. Uh, I mean, it sounds like your account got locked pretty securely now, but I could call up and find a way to get Dan's iCloud account reset and with a password given to me. My biggest takeaway advice from you wasn't even the two factor auth. It wasn't turn off remote wipe. It was you know make sure I'm not trusting anything. Uh, secure with anything linked to my iCloud account. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that's a definite takeaway. I mean, I'm sorry to sound, I'm, I sound dejected. I am dejected. Uh, I, you know, I have really placed a lot of trust and faith uh, in that system, and, and right now I don't really have uh, very much trust or faith in that system. And so it's, uh, you know, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just a little disheartened by that. But that's that's how I feel. Well. Well, we're sad that the, the lesson had to be learned this way, but hopefully other people will be able to take away something valuable for this so that it doesn't happen again. And I hope the, the companies in question will, will do some more to beef up those practices. Yeah, I mean, I'm very encouraged that Amazon has actually changed something because of this. I got some criticism yesterday for publicizing how the Amazon thing worked. Um, I, I should make it clear that, that we had let Amazon know that was coming. Uh, but uh, it was very encouraging to see them move so quickly and change something and it encourages me to think that apple probably is going to be doing the same well we wish you the best of luck matt and uh thanks for joining us we appreciate it thanks guys thank you all right take care Bye. that wraps up this episode of the mac world podcast thanks to dan morin and of course matt honan from wired for joining us if you have feedback or questions, drop us a line at podcast at macworld.com or leave us a voicemail at 415-967-3622. I'm Lex Friedman reminding you that you can find more Apple, macOS, iOS, and technology news, views, and reviews at macworld.com. Thanks so much for listening. Stay safe out there.